Some of us saw when her toe hooked in that cord and we couldn't say anything fast enough. Sorry about it. Are you okay? Well, you wouldn't say anything else if you weren't, I'm pretty sure. So somebody needs to get her checked out later on today. I'm sorry about that. How do you recover from that? We'll do the best that we can. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Make sure you're all right. Beautiful song, beautiful Christmas uh, singing. Of course, we love the Christmas carols. And of course, we sing the same Christmas carols every year, don't we? And there's some new songs like that one that came up. And we always preach from the same Christmas message. It's always been my tradition to preach from the Christmas story because it just, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you look at this story? It's the greatest story ever told uh, in the book of Luke chapter 1. Christmas celebrations involve more nations and more people than any other holiday on the planet. And despite any and all attempts or just the unfortunate happenings to commercialize Christmas, uh, to mask its true meaning, to cover up its core message. The observance of Christmas, undeniably, even to the most hardened of agnostic or atheist, I have to admit the observance of Christmas acknowledges humanity's awareness of God. Now, they may deny God. They may try to uh, resist against the fact that he exists, but everybody's going to notice that humanity is aware of God during the Christmas holidays. Because during the Christmas holidays, we do not celebrate any human achievement. Other holidays celebrate this. This is the one holiday, of course, and Easter, where we celebrate divine accomplishment. Humanity hasn't got any glory in this. God has the glory in the Christmas holidays. Even with all the other stuff that we've tried to trap onto it as societies, can't ignore the fact, this holiday is Christmas. This holiday is about Christ. This holiday is about our awareness of God even those who resist God have to acknowledge they're resisting something. So let's look at what the Bible says about what happened as we look into, of course, the beginning of the Christmas story as we know it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, 
how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judea and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told of her from the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for the way you've worded them, and Father, the way you've brought them to us. There's beauty every year we look at this. Now we ask as we look into your word just for a few moments, you would show us the truths that are important to our lives, and Father, we ask if there's a need for us to make any changes, any adjustments, any commitments. Father, show us what needs to be done. We can leave here having made things right with you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Luke says a lot in just a few words. Luke, of course, knew the language very clearly. And as he wrote in the Greek language, he chose his words carefully. And it says quite clearly in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It tells us and this is important for us. God totally ignores man's measure of status. God totally ignores society's important things. All the things that we may emphasize that are important to society, God bypassed them. Measurements of status and prestige. He bypassed the powerful royalty of Rome. Oh, they were the most powerful people in the world at that time. God totally bypassed them. They were celebrities. People talked about them. People gossiped about them. And, of course, we know they made the news all the time. The emperor called himself God. And God, of course, had some messages to bring, and he totally bypassed Rome and all the most important people there. Society said, they're it. They're important. They're the movers and shakers. And God went straight by. Of course, then you had, of course, the aristocratic leaders in Jerusalem. The religious leaders, the national leaders in Jerusalem, the ones who called the shots, the ones who were the most important, the ones people looked to. God had something to say about his dealings with that nation. Bypassed all of them. And he went to Galilee. Galilee was on the outer fringes of the most important places in what we call the Holy Land. It was despised. 
by the cultural elite and the sophisticated because it was on the outer fringes. And it was even called, as far back as the book of Isaiah, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, Gentile was just a nasty word to the Jewish people. Anybody that wasn't a Jew was called a Gentile. And there was no love lost between Jewish people and Gentile people. They considered them the, this, the, the dogs of society. And so Galilee was up there so close to non-Jewish areas that there were a lot of Gentiles that lived there. So that's how they, they talked about Galilee as Galilee of the Gentiles. That's even mentioned again in Matthew chapter 4. And so in this region, there was a little town called Nazareth. It was one of the most out-of-the-way towns of the world at that time to be in the middle of, of course, an important region and a busy region. Uh, no major roads went through Nazareth. No trade routes went through Nazareth. In fact, even the folks of Galilee despised Nazareth. Can you imagine that? Here was... Nazareth that was so low on the social order that the people of Galilee, who themselves were considered low on the social order, looked down on them. You remember in John chapter 1, verse 46, when Nathanael was introduced to Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He wasn't from Jerusalem. He wasn't from Rome. He was from Cana of Galilee. He was from the county. And he looked down on Nazareth. So here was God with one of the most important messages that he had to talk about the plan of salvation. And he bypasses all of the major capitals, all of the major celebrities. And he comes to a very humble teenage girl in Nazareth of Galilee. In other words, he just totally dismissed everything that society said was important. And then he continued the message he began a long time ago. In verse 31, it says, You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And he says, this Holy One will be called the Son of God. This was not new information. First of all, of course, it was shared with Zacharias. It was shared in Zacharias back in chapter 1, verse 17, when he talks about the birth of John the Baptist and said that this man will be the forerunner, the messenger for the coming of the Messiah. So, of course, he had told him a few months earlier, Six months earlier. Oh, but it gets better than that. Back in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You know the passage of Scripture. Very familiar. We quoted it a little bit earlier. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward even forever. This is basically what the angel told Mary. 
This was 700 years earlier. God had said what he was going to do. Hundreds of years before that, back in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, verse 10, as Jacob was blessing his sons, he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And what he meant was Shiloh's coming. Shiloh will come before the scepter departs from Judah. Now, now what's that have to do with the Christmas story? Came to pass there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be taxed. And everyone went to be taxed into his own city because he had mandated this. What was this? It was when Judah was being placed on the tax rolls of Rome. The scepter, of course, is that symbol that you are ruling yourself. The scepter was departing from Judah at the very moment Jesus was born. Hundreds, over a thousand years before, God said something about that. Oh, but we always go even further back than that. In the dawn of time, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God's talking to the serpent. And the serpent says, your descendants will bruise the heel of the descendants of this woman. But the descendant of this woman will crush your head. All the way back to the beginning of time, God sent the message, he's coming, a Messiah's coming. And then God tells Mary again of this plan, and then he will fulfill the, uh, reveal the fulfillment of his promise. He says, I'm going to give you the plan of action. This is how it's going to happen. Of course, we know the plan. The plan is this. The plan is you will conceive and bear a son. The plan was humanly impossible for anybody to dare to imagine. Humanly impossible. But that's precisely the point. Back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. The Lord himself will give you what? A sign. The word the sign there means more than just a signal. That is the same word that John used in the book of John chapter 20 as he's closing out his book, verse 30, and he says, many more signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. So many that can't be written in this book. But he said, I've included these that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The word sign means something that only God can do. 
And people would try to explain away the virgin birth and try to deny the virgin birth and try to say, well, it doesn't really mean that. The word meant just a young lady and so forth. Absolutely not. That's the whole point. It's humanly unimaginable. It's humanly impossible. But God did it. Isaiah said it would be a miracle 700 years before. And he specifically said this is what the miracle would be. And when God reveals the fulfillment of his prophet promise, he said, this is the plan. So he gives him the plan. And then he introduces her again to the person. And he will be great. Wow. That's economy of words there. Because that doesn't even begin to capture what Jesus is. He will be great. You see, there's no need for any other attempts to describe him with human language. There are no words in human language that would do it. So God could have said he'll be great and start stacking on all the things about the Lord, but later on other people did. Paul went to describe the Lord. Paul would talk about who Jesus is. And he would say he's a name that's given above all names. You remember Isaiah said his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Prince of Peace. He said that. And then John, as he wrote the book of the Revelation, he said he's the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and Lord of lords. All God had to say to Mary, he'll be great. And that captured it as much as our human minds could even think. He'll be great. And he'll be called the Son of the Highest, the Son of God. Therefore, he revealed without a shadow of a doubt, this is the one we've been talking about for thousands of years, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is it, Mary. This is the fulfillment of the promise. This is the person. And he'll be a king and sit on the throne of his father David. Isn't that what Isaiah said? He'll sit on the father, throne of his father David and establish his kingdom even now from evermore. That's the person. That's what we celebrate. And then let's look at the person of Mary. Mary is definitely worthy of honor. She was trusting and obedient, even though she didn't understand the whole picture. Now, you look at this passage of Scripture, and you remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at Zacharias, and Zacharias was struck as totally mute because he didn't believe the Lord when the Lord said that Elizabeth would bear a son in the old age. And he asked a question, and then Mary asked a question, but she's not scolded, and she absolutely has, has no chastisement. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, it was her heart, and God looks at the heart. That we just hear the question. Mary was not doubting that God could do it. She was doubting, how's this going to be? How can it be that I can conceive? I haven't been with a man. This is totally humanly beyond my imagination. And so we understand that despite the fact there were a lot of questions she couldn't answer, she still trusted God. Wow. A lot of times we have questions we can't answer about why things happen, what happens, and so forth. And so we, we begin to... to, to kind of waver because we don't have everything tied up in a neat little package. Even with her unanswered questions, she trusted God because she said, you, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it to me according to you. She's worthy of honor. 
but she's a lot like we are. Somebody said, there is absolutely no way I can have anything in common with Mary. Yes, we do have something in common with Mary. Look in verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She said, don't be, the angel said, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. Now, the word favor might be, well, the angel himself said that Mary was due some respect. You are favored of God. Oh, but you look at the original language. Greek, that is quite precise and quite accurate, much more than the English language. If you look at the Greek language, and it says, you found favor with God, and you're highly favored of the Lord, the word there is charis, grace, grace. When she said, you are highly favored, he just simply said, God has given you a lot of grace. When he said you found favor in the eyes of the Lord, he said you found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So when we talk about Mary, Mary was a recipient of God's grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. How do we know this? Look in chapter in verse 46 of the song that she sung. And the introduction is this. Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Who needs a Savior? Sinners. Sinners. She was a sinner. She acknowledged she was a sinner. She acknowledged that God was her Savior. And by saying that, she acknowledged that God had saved her from a sinful condition. Wow. Jesus would say it this way. You remember when he, when he went to Matthew's house, the Pharisees were all grumbling and complaining. He said, people that are, people that are well don't need a doctor, but people that are sick. He says, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. I am come to, to seek sinners. And so the fact that she would say she had a Savior, she had found a Savior, and God was a Savior, she was acknowledging the fact she needed a Savior. And sinners need a Savior. So Mary was a lot like us. She was a sinner in need of a Savior, but she found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's, that's the gospel message. That's the Christmas message. And then she sang the first Christmas carol. I want to read this and look at her thoughts because she said, but all that she said here was more of a song, a song of praise to God. And, of course, we're dealing with the Christmas story for this is the first written Christmas hymn that we have in verse 47. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. Behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. 
His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he sent them away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. What a song. And what she is saying is, I believe God will do what he said he will do. And of course, this is interesting, she's not the only one. Look in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth believed what Mary had told her. Mary had told her everything about what had happened. This is, this is found when it says that she greeted Elizabeth. Now, in our culture, we think of a greeting as, hey, how you doing? Glad to be here. The greetings at that time were very long, and they were kind of catching everybody up, kind of like a newsletter. And that word greeted or saluted means that she told Elizabeth all the happy news and everything that was going on. So Elizabeth knew from the very start of what Mary was telling her. Such a, such a story. Such a story that she was expecting a child, and this child was actually the son of God. What a story. Who's going to believe that? Obviously, Elizabeth did. And she did from the minute. Because she said, I knew it. I knew it. Because as soon as as you started talking to me, I felt this baby leap for joy. Not she had felt the baby move before. We know that. This was different. This was different. So the, one of the first acknowledgments of the deity of Jesus Christ was from an unborn baby. What a testimony of the importance of of life from the very start. And so this Christmas hymn gives us the whole story of the Christmas holidays. Like no other holiday, part of the focus of Christmas is gifts, Christmas presents. And I know a lot of presents under the tree and a lot of gifts, and it's pretty exciting. Man, I remember when I was a kid how exciting it was, especially when you've been a good boy all year like I was all the time. We were always excited about Christmas presents, see all that wrapping under the tree and so forth. You know, there's a, and there's some excitement there. Isn't it? We, we can't deny it, even as grown-ups, it's always fun, isn't it? And people would say, this is the commemorate and call the attention of the gifts of the wise men to Jesus. Oh, no, no, there's, there's a better gift here. There's a better gift here. That better gift is found in these two words, my Savior. When she said my Savior, she was saying a mouthful. Oh, you remember the passage of Scripture in John, I mean in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, it's important to look at the words. This is, this is a military terms that Paul was using. The wages of sin. The word wages means the pay of sin. Opsonion. 
was the Greek word. That Greek word was specifically the salary or the wages that the army men got. And they worked hard for it. They, the, the wage, they earned every bit of what they got. So when people heard this, they knew what he was saying. We earned everything we receive with death. The wages of sin is death. We've earned that. But the gift of God's eternal life. That's another specific military term. And here's the military term. Soldiers worked hard. They worked hard for their pay and they got their pay. But now every now and then, if a new emperor came to the throne in celebration of his, of his happiness, he would give every soldier a special gift of money. They didn't earn that. That was over and above anything that they could earn. Sometimes if the emperor, a lot of times if he had a birthday, the emperor has a birthday, to celebrate his birthday, he would give a gift to the soldiers. They didn't earn that. Did they have anything to do with the emperor's birthday? Absolutely nothing. It was a gift they didn't earn. It was a gift they didn't lift a finger. It was a gift they didn't even influence. It was a gift that came to them only because of the heart of the king. Those are the two words he uses. Oh, but it gets even better. The word gift is charisma. Now you say, well, that's where you get the term charisma. Oh, it's better than that. Do you remember what the word for grace is? Charis. Same root word. The same root word for gift is the word for grace. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. That's the Christmas story when we open the gifts. The gift of God. The grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation we could never earn, but it's a free gift from the King to all who will accept it and trust Him. We prepare for an invitational hymn. Where are you in the Christmas story? I would hope all of us are with Mary. And say, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Can you say my Savior when you're talking about God? Of all the things you can call God, please be sure you can say my Savior. And be sure and share this gift with those around us as we stand and sing.